Got your Bibles? I had to bring a different Bible today. So I had to read out of a different translation. I think it's a little clearer in the New Living today. So I dug out an old Bible of mine that I used to preach from all the time, and it's, it was retired, but I've got that one out. And so as we look at another chapter of Luke today, let's remind ourselves of what's going on in the Gospel of Luke. Because if we don't, we forget, and then kind of what we look at, things get disjointed or don't make sense as a, as a whole. So this gospel, the gospel of Luke, gospel means what? Good news. So it's the good news about Jesus. Doesn't, gospel doesn't mean good news about Jesus, but in this context it does. Um, it means the good news about Jesus. Um, and it was written by Dr. Luke, he was a medical doctor, to investigate and explain the truths about who Jesus is, who Jesus really was, because there was a lot of misinformation going on about who Jesus was and he wanted to make it straight and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that's what he writes in the Gospel of Luke. And that's what we've been seeing. Luke focusing on who Jesus is, what he did, what he taught, how he, how he explained the world from God's perspective. And in the section of Luke that we're currently in, we find Luke putting together the teachings of Jesus that deal with how he, Jesus, sees the world and how we should therefore see the world as his followers, and how having that different perspective would affect how we live our lives. So it's a very practical section of the book of Luke. It's helping us understand, if, if this is how the world really is, how would we then engage with the world being that way? And what we've been finding is that Jesus sees the world a lot differently than other people see the world especially, and this is what he keeps showing his juxtaposition in the book of Luke, he especially sees the world differently than the religious leaders of his day. He keeps saying, well, this is the way I see it, and that's the way you see it. And he keeps showing that his view of the world and the kingdom of God is a lot different than their view of the world and what they think is God's way of functioning. So what we find Jesus doing is really turning things upside down. But really, I want you to think of it this way. What he's doing is turning things right side up. That's what. So when we think of Jesus' teachings that are going to seem sometimes challenging, what he's trying to do is, is turn the world back in their right order. Because we need to understand our world and our thinking has been affected. It's been twisted. It's been tainted by the influence of sin in our very own lives and then corporately in the entire world. So Jesus is showing, think of this, how someone not corrupted by sin sees the world and interacts with it because that's who Jesus is. Somebody not corrupted by sin. We don't get to say that about ourselves because we live in a sin-corrupted world, but Jesus, the Son of God, comes in without a sin nature and he sees the world as it should be and interacts with it as it should be. So what he's doing is constantly turning the world right side up for us to see how it's supposed to be. And in the last couple of chapters, um, chapters we're going to be at chapter 16 today, but thinking back to like chapter 14, the last couple of weeks, we see in every one of the chapters, Jesus is turning the world right side up as he dealt with how our thinking is different in the kingdom of God as it is outside the kingdom of God. So for instance, in chapter 14, if you think back a couple of weeks, he said things like this, that people are more important than rules. And that's not normally what happens. We say, here's the rule, sorry, Brett was talking to me about um, Brett volunteers at the COG Center down in the, the hardest part of, of Milwaukee. Um, and a lot of things he does is intake with people who are on welfare. 
and a lot of times people would have needs, and he'll be there, and he'll have moms crying, for, crying, begging him to give him another bag of groceries, and he'll say, I'm sorry, the rule says I can't. And it'll be the moms crying, saying, but my kids need more food, but the rules tell him he can't do it. And so he can't do it because the rules say no. Well, Jesus is trying to turn those kinds of things upside down. In chapter 14, he says, no, wait, people are more important than rules. He said in chapter 4 things something like, we should consider others' needs before our own, not just look out for what we need. But what do other people need? He said things like, we need to see the value in the marginalized, the people who are, who are marginalized in our society. And oftentimes, just because of where they were born and the situations that they find themselves in that they didn't ask to be in, they're marginalized by, by society. And so Jesus challenged us in chapter 14 to look at the world differently. Then in chapter 15, we saw his kingdom perspective when he talked about love. All of chapter 15 was about love. And he showed about God's love for lost people, God's love that his love leads to transformation, that if you he, if he walk in his love, you'll become different, that God's love leads loves to forget the past, where we love to drag up the past. He loves to forget the past. And then that, God's, that, that God puts love before justice. That yes, there's rules, but God's love goes before justice. So that was chapter 15. He's turning the world right side up for us so we can see it the way he does. As we saw in these, Jesus presents a vision of living that's a lot different than we have naturally or were taught just from the influences of the world around us not now and all the way back then 2,000 years ago. So now through we come to chapter 16. And Jesus is doing the same thing again. And the reason I'm pointing it out is so we kind of start this idea of, man, i got to start thinking differently. I need my thinking to line up with Jesus' thinking. And a lot of the things I've been taught are the opposite. So, God, how do you want to flip my thinking around as I'm in this world? And in, in chapter 16, Jesus does it again. And this time, he flips the world's thinking upside down or right side up regarding something that we'd often rather not talk about. Money. Resources. That's what he does, all of chapter 16. He's, he's again, now he's taking another topic. Last, week, last time was love. This time is resources, is money. And he's going to say, this is how you've been led to believe, but I'm going to tell you, as the perfect man, Jesus, I look at it a whole lot different. And here's the right way to look at this stuff. And he's going to do it regarding the topic of money, the resources that we have and how we are to use them. And all of chapter 16 revolves around two verses. So if you're in chapter 16, look at your Bible. And look at with me at chapter 14 and 15, and I would hope no one would ever say this about any one of us in here. But he's going to say it about the religious leaders. Look what he says about the thinking of the religious leaders of the time, chapters 14 and 15, right in the middle of chapter 16. It says this, the Pharisees, and remember, if you're, if you're newer to your faith, the Pharisees are the religious leaders who are the most devout at keeping the rules. These aren't a bunch of hacks. These are the people who are really trying their best as Jewish men and women, or as Jewish men, to try to live the law to its perfection. So they're not people who just did not care about God. They greatly cared about God. They just got it wrong. So verse 14, the Pharisees, look at this, who dearly loved their what? Money. The Pharisees who dearly loved their money naturally scoffed at all of this. And we're going to look at what they scoffed at. And then he said to them, You like to look good in the public, but God knows your evil hearts. What this world honors is an abomination in the sight of God. So you look at he's saying, the world sees it this way, and I'm telling you, 
there's, I got to flip it upside down because the world sees that God looks as an abomination and God's going to say there's a right way of looking at things. And in this situation, he's going to do the right way of looking at resources, of, of, of income, of, of money. In this entire chapter, Jesus, Jesus deals with different dimensions of a right perspective towards resources um, that was really totally the opposite of the Pharisees. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to pull out for us uh, this chapter three lessons that Jesus teaches about a, a kingdom or a proper view towards resources and money. And I want you to remember something as I start this. I honestly want you to think of this because this is the truth. It was this kind of teaching that got Jesus killed. They didn't kill Jesus because he was talking about theology. They killed Jesus because he messed with their lives because they were real happy living like this. And all of a sudden, the Son of God comes on the scene and he flips the world upside down and they didn't like it. People didn't like the things that he said that challenged their lives, that hit too close to home. And so what did they say? They said, let's crucify him, let's kill him. Some of us in here today will be challenged by what Jesus says in this place. And my challenge is for us to be different than the Pharisees. That we would invite the Holy Spirit to challenge us. We would say, God, if I'm seeing it upside down, would you show me? God, if I've been taught how to, how to live, look at finances from Forbes and Wall Street, um, or just from culture around me, more so than I have from your kingdom and your Bible, help me to see that, God, so that I can, so you can flip my life upside down. Because here's the deal. When you live an upside down life, you can function right in the world, but it's not God's best for you, and it's not eternally the best thing, and it doesn't affect the world the way God wants to use you to affect the world. But if you allow him to flip you right side up, and function according to his ways and his thinking, you live the good and beautiful life he called you to live, he offers to you, it will look different than the world around you, but it'll be a life of goodness and grace and blessing, and it'll make an impact on the world around you. And so he's going to challenge us to say, God, give me an open heart to, to do this flipping in my mind in here. To flip over in your thinking is uncomfortable. It's easier to say, crucify him. Kill him, get rid of him. I don't want to think like that. It's much easier. And you can find all the teachers in the world, inside the church and outside the church, who just line up with the world's thinking. But I'm telling you, this is what Jesus is trying to do here. He's trying to change how we think, to transform us, to be kingdom of God type of people. And so let's allow the, world, the word of God by the spirit of God to have that transformative kind of effect in us today as people of God at Portview Church. So let's look at the lessons we learned. Um, about, about finances that are opposite of the world. The first lesson comes out of a story that Jesus tells in the beginning of chapter 16. Now, before I read the story, I want to warn you that this is probably the most difficult of any of Jesus' parables. I'm sorry, I use story, means parable. Any of Jesus' parables or stories to understand. Because what, as I'm going to read it, it's going to seem like Jesus is applauding dishonesty. And you're going to look at it and go, How, what is Jesus saying here? Because we know from all of Scripture and who Jesus is, he would never applaud dishonesty. But we're going to see what he does, and I think I'm going to be able to help us today understand what Jesus is saying here and draw the valuable lessons out of it that Jesus, I believe, was trying to make by telling this story that's a, that's a little peculiar. So look at chapter 16, verses 1 through 9. It says, Jesus told this story to his disciples. 
A rich man hired a manager to handle his affairs, but soon a rumor went around that the manager was thoroughly dishonest. So his employer called him in and said, what's this I hear about your stealing from me? Get your report in order because you are going to be dismissed. The manager thought to himself, now what? I'm through here. I don't have the strength to go out and dig ditches, and I'm too proud to beg. I know just the thing. And then I will have plenty of friends to take care of me when I leave. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe him? The man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, tear up that bill and write another one for 400 gallons. And how much do you owe my employer? He asked the next man, a thousand bushels of wheat was the reply. Here the manager said, take your bill and replace it with the one for, for, with one for 800 bushels. The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it is true that the citizens of this world, he's drawing a, a, a juxtaposition between world thinking and God thinking, the citizens of this world are more shrewd than the godly are. I tell you, Use the world's resources to benefit others and make friends. In this way, your generosity stores up a reward for you in heaven. Now, that's kind of a confusing story, isn't it? It sounds kind of like Jesus is um, complimenting this shrewd servant because he ripped off his employer. That's, that's the story is going on. It really was happening. He's, he's doing that. Uh, he went to those who owed the boss money and reduced what they owed him in order to put himself in a position where they would help him once he got fired from his job. But notice why Jesus uses this example, because he's not trying to talk about ripping off your boss. He's using an example as a way to stir our thinking to teach us a point. He says in this here, what he's trying to say, he says that people of the world, and again, he showed you between people of the world and people of the kingdom of God, that people of the world are more shrewd regarding their use of money than followers of God generally are, than Christians generally are. He just makes that statement. And what he is saying is that his followers should learn something from them. His followers should be shrewd or should be wise regarding how they use their resources that God has entrusted to them. And you need to understand something, friends. The resources that you have are resources entrusted by God to you and to me. And he's saying that we should be wise or shrewd regarding how we use those resources that are given to us, entrusted to us. And in verse 9, he states how we should be shrewd, how we should strategically use the resources entrusted to us. Look back at verse 9. I tell you, use your worldly resources, what? To benefit others and make friends. In this way, your generosity stores up a reward for you in heaven. He says two things that we should strategically, shrewdly do with the resources entrusted. We should say, how do I use my resources to accomplish these two things? And look at the two things he says. Number one, use it to benefit other people. And number two, use it to make friends. And if you think about the story of the shrewd servant that Jesus is using, that's exactly what he did with the money given to him. He used it to benefit others. You had a bill for 1000 Now you have a bill for 800 
and to make friends. Now you're my friend, so when I have no money, you'll take me into your house. He's saying those were the things he tried to accomplish with his money, and he's saying those are the things that we should shrewdly try, we should learn from the unrighteous guy how he uses money shrewdly to accomplish something, but the things that he accomplished, Jesus said, these are things worthwhile, not by robbing people, but in good ways. This, this is lesson one from Jesus. We use our resources to benefit others and make friends. How do I use the resources God has given me to benefit other people and to make friends with people? And look at the end of the verse, at verse 9. Why? What's it say here? Here's how we live. Your generosity stores up a reward for you in heaven. He's talking about being generous. Jesus is talking about being generous with the resources entrusted to us to use our resources to benefit others and make friends. And you would ask, well, why would Jesus, that would be his first principle on, on kingdom living regarding finances, why would it be the first thing? Why? So that it sets the stage for us to help them find Christ and become part of the kingdom. He's saying be shrewd in how you use it, make, benefit people, make friends with people. Why? So you can influence them for the kingdom. Jesus is saying, use your resources shrewdly in such a way that your generosity endures you to others and benefits them. In other words, act towards others as God acts towards you because he is generous and he is abundant. All the world is his. And in his kingdom, he blesses us and acts to be befriends us and he benefits us. And he's saying, so we should act this way as he acts towards us. Not hoarding, not being selfish, but being shrewdly generous with what we have so we can influence other people toward the reality of God in our life. So we use our resources shrewdly to benefit others and to make friends to bring them into the kingdom. Does that make sense? That's the first principle Jesus is pointing out here. Now I'm hoping what happens, you, you, some of you are going like this. I never understood that story before. I really believe that's what Jesus is trying to point out to us. Use your money shrewdly, wisely, to make friends and benefit other people so that you can influence them to come to know Christ. So that's lesson number one. Well, just think before you get to lesson number two. How would that affect your life on a day-to-day basis? If you really looked at your checkbook and said, and your resources and, your, and, all your, and all your, what you have before you, and say, how could I use this today? this week, to benefit another person and to make friends with them. Maybe it means I take them out for lunch and I buy their lunch, make friends with them, I benefit them, make friends with them. Why? So I can build a relationship that can then help them eternally come to know Christ. What a difference that is from the way of the thinking that says, guess what? What's yours is yours. Do whatever you want with what you got because it's yours. It's, it's upside-down thinking. It's saying, I look at what I have regarding how does it affect somebody else? Who does that? We look at what we have and say, it's for me. Jesus is saying, look what God has entrusted you to say, how can it affect somebody else positively in the world? Isn't that upside down thinking? Yeah, it really is. Let's look at the second one. Lesson two from Jesus. Lesson two comes out of the commentary that Jesus gave about the story of the shrewd servant, the story we just read. He makes a commentary about it. Look at verses 10 and 12, 10 through 12. 
unless you are faithful in, a, in small matters, you won't be faithful in large ones. If you cheat even a little, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are unworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's money, why would you be trusted with money of your own? Here's lesson two. This is important. Your use of resources is a proving grounds for how God will use you in other areas of life now and for eternity. How you use your resources today is a proving grounds for how God will use you in other areas of your life now and for eternity. Have you ever thought about that God looks at how you use your resources that are entrusted to you and that his evaluation of that determines how he will work through you and entrust other things to you? That's what he's talking about here. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that, that, that the use of money is a revealer to God and how he can use you in other areas of your life. He's saying that how can you use your, how you, how you use your resources as a proving grounds for God himself. If you, if you pass this test on how you use the money, then he can move forward with you and use you in other capacities. But if you fail, you're held back. I, I can think of many times, I was trying to think of this, but I can think of multiple situations in my time as a pastor that people have come to me with whatever dreams or visions or plans, maybe it was ministry, maybe it was, maybe it was a business, something, something just about plans for their family, something they wanted to accomplish. Often they maybe thought it was even a kingdom dream, something that would matter in the world, but it never came to pass. And what I've noticed is oftentimes what has kept these dreams from coming to pass from my perspective is the small stuff of integrity in their lives. The small stuff of integrity. That's what he's talking about. If I can't touch you into small things, and he's saying, he's saying money is a small thing. Money is a small thing in, in light of all eternity. And he's saying, if I can't trust you in the small things, I can't trust you in big things. And I've watched as people, as they didn't manage the small stuff well, they didn't do the little things of life in a line with how God would want them to do, that often things didn't work out. It didn't happen and things didn't come to pass. Well, that's really what Jesus is dealing with here. He says, if you are untrustworthy, these exact words in verse 11, untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you? And he's talking about who? He's talking about God. Who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? Or a use of money is a proving grounds. If we use it wisely and generously, it opens the door to God doing greater through things in us and through us. It's not about the money. It's about us doing what's right with what we, what we already have been entrusted with. And if we handle what we already have been entrusted with well, God says, well, I can entrust more to you so that I can use you and accomplish things in you and accomplish things through you to greater levels. So money isn't just money. Kingdom thinking is opposite, remember. Money, he flips it around and goes, how you use your money, God looks at as the proving grounds to see how I can use you in other things now and for eternity. 
Well, that makes, that makes money a whole lot more important than whether or not I can use it to pay for my next vacation. Right? Nothing wrong with vacation, but that makes it a whole lot more important. Saying, wow, when God's flipping it over, he's looking at how I use my money and saying, it reveals something about me, about my character, my trustworthiness. Can I use Mark to any greater dimensions? Or has Mark hit his limit because I can't trust him beyond this? That's lesson number two. Let's look at the third lesson. Look at verse 13. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Lesson number three, you cannot serve. Say the word serve with me, serve. You cannot serve both God and money. He doesn't say you can't serve God and have money. It's not what he's saying at all. He's saying you cannot serve both God and money. Remember, Jesus is teaching this as a way of challenging the false thinking of the Pharisees who see what says what? They dearly loved their money. In verse 14, Jesus points it out about them. They dearly loved their money. Let's understand something here. Jesus isn't anti-wealth. He is, but what he is, is he's anti-greed. He's not anti-wealth. He's anti-greed and he's anti-idolatry. Having something else be an idol in your life, something else you serve other than him. So Jesus is love and he wants the best for everyone. And Jesus has provided enough for everyone. But greed functions like this. Greed is where one person or a group of people hoard more than they need, causing harm to another person or another group of people. In the kingdom of God, there is enough for everyone as long as no one is greedy Worshipping money, worshipping wealth, getting a compiling more than they need, being greedy and hordes. James, a half-brother of Jesus, dealt with this same topic. He said this, If a brother or a sister, he's talking about Christians here, in relationship with each other, is without clothing and is in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace and be warmed and be filled, and yet do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is it? He's trying to say this. I'm trying to flip your thinking upside down or right side up. He says, you just say, these people are saying in their, in, their, in their religious world, oh, be blessed, my brother. Sounding really religious. Be blessed. I will pray for you. He's saying that's that thinking, that's worldly thinking. He said the kingdom of God thinking is the opposite. The kingdom of God says, you know what? If I have something and you don't and I have enough, I can help you. I can share with you. God's plan for those in his kingdom is that they view the resources entrusted to them in a way that looks to meet the needs of others in addition to meeting their own needs. It's the opposite of the world's view that says what's mine is mine and I get to just do with it as I so choose. When Jesus said these things, you know what they did? They conspired together and what did they say? Kill him. Because we don't like to think like this. Jesus is pointing out that life in the kingdom of God is different. That we serve God, we don't serve money. We serve God, we don't serve greed. We serve God, we think different than the world around us. We act like Jesus who gives and blesses others when they're in times of need. He gave his all for other people. Now, lest you think I've gone totally left and I've become a socialist, how many were thinking that? Be honest. 
I'm not. I'm not talking about socialism or communism. Um, a lot of Christians have misinterpreted, misinterpreted this thinking and said it's socialism or communism and tried to build the case in that, on, these, on these thinkings. Socialism and communism are forced on people. They're a government saying, I'm going to take what you got and I'm going to give it to somebody else. And in theory, if people weren't involved, it would work. But people are involved and people are greedy. They think upside down, not right side up. If we had all right side up thinkers, we could run the whole world with socialism and it would be beautiful. We'd all have plenty and no one would have lack. But the world is run by people who are upside down. And what happens is greedy people. You look at any situation where socialism and communism have tried to be employed, and what happens? It destroys the whole thing. A few get mega rich, and everybody else gets nothing. It doesn't work. We're not talking about that here. Why? Because people are greedy, and greedy people are greedy, and they'll take for themselves. It's not about socialism and communism. In the kingdom, it's not about being forced. In any place they've tried to implode, 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 impose communism or socialism, it's forced. It's done at gunpoint. In the kingdom of God, it's not about being forced. It's about love. Everything in the kingdom of God, right side up thinking, comes back to love. Love compelling us to help. Love compelling us to bless those who have less. Everything in the kingdom, right side thinking, says has some of the same values, but comes at it from a totally different way. It comes back at it, at it from love, not compulsion. And it says, I have, and I'm going to evaluate my, how I use resources, and I'm going to use them for your good and to make friends with you. And so if I have enough, and I have even more than enough, I'm going to use it to bless other people. We saw a great example of this that we talked about last week um, on our Good Friday service. Who, who was not at our Good Friday service? Thanksgiving service. Thanksgiving. Okay, is there enough? There's only a couple of you. Most all of you are here. It was packed. This place was packed. So I'm not going to show a video. I'm going to tell you about it because we're, we're running really late. No, I'm going to show you a video in just a second. It's one minute and 30 seconds. You got an extra one minute and 30 seconds today? Okay. The way the kingdom works. Our kingdom builder ministry in our church is all about giving. It's about expanding the kingdom. So it's money that you guys give above your tithes that we use because the tithes operate for the church, operation of the church. You do ministry here in our community. Kingdom Builders takes it and expands the kingdom. Last year, you guys get, last year as a church, we gave $100,000 to do that. 20% above our normal operating budget. And last week, um, I showed you a video at, at, at um, the Thanksgiving service that of Pastor Mark... Burkholter, who's the pastor of Cedar Creek Community Church in Grafton. It's a small little church. He's doing his best to, just got out of seminary. He's a young guy, um, young family, got two little kids. One little kid, just a brand new baby. His wife's got a bunch of medical issues, type 2 diabetic, a lot of issues. And um, he was just 35 years old, just diagnosed with, um, with uh, colon cancer. And just gone through surgery, removed a big section of his colon and a lot of stuff. And he's got a huge um, hernia because of it. And he's got a lot of dealing with it. He never complains. You never know he's one of my friends. I pray with him every two weeks. Never complains. And, and I just felt 
we're supposed to bless him. Remember we started a ministry around here as part of Kingdom Builders where we give to pastors that are like our hero pastors that are sacrificing? And so I just felt we're supposed to do it. And the morning of this certain day, we're going to show a video of, I'm just like, we got to write him a check today. And I said, Mitch, write a check for $1,000 to Pastor Mark Burkhalter out of our Kingdom, out of our kingdom Builders account. We got to give him this money. And so I'm, I'm texting him, and he says, I said, can I see you today? He's like, well, we're heading out of town. We're heading to Ohio for family because it's two days before Thanksgiving. And I said, I just need five minutes of your time. And he's like, well, you can come to my house. He lives in Port. Come to my house. I said, great. Tell me when. And for a little while, I was like, I don't want you to come to my house. My wife's not doing very good. And uh, finally, I said, I just need five minutes. And he calls me. He goes, is everything all right? I realized, oh, my goodness. He's thinking I'm mad at him or something's going on wrong. I go, hey, dude, there's nothing wrong. I just need to see you for five minutes. That's it. I want to tell him why. I just need five minutes. He says, can I come to Portview? I said, come to Portview. So I got our whole staff. We were at a staff meeting. It was a Tuesday. I said, you guys all come in the room. And he came in, and I, and I told him, and I'll, I'll, let's see what I told him. Let's watch this. Play the video. At our church that we started a little while ago, that um, we really felt that we were supposed to select certain pastors, that are, are like our heroes, that are doing a great job, that are willing to take a lot, sometimes difficult places. and sometimes So Pastor Mitch is holding his phone like this so he can't see it. And um, serve there, and we want to bless those people. And so um, we know that not only do we want to bless you because you're doing a good job, but you have gone through a really tough time lately, mm-hmm. uh, coming out of colon cancer, um, having a, got to have a big hernia repaired pretty soon. <laughs> Um, just had second baby, you know, and um, so Portview loves you, loves what you're yep. doing. Yep. You're our sister church, and so we just want to present you with something for you. Um, for like, this is not for your church. This is for you and your wife, and um, to spend it on whatever you want, because Jesus loves you, and so do we. Yep. And so we wanted to get you before you before you left for your vacation. By the way, you see Suzanne crying. We were all crying. Because he's sobbing, and I'm going to tell you the minute what he told me. What he told me right here. We cut it off right here. This is what he told me. That morning... The night before, his wife had been in a hospital all night long because of a diabetic issue. He was at home with the two kids. He just got a cancer surgery, and they had just bought his wife's medicine, and they had $1.45 left in their checkbook. And they had to get to Ohio to see family because he said, we feel so alone. We've never felt so all alone in our lives. You guys got to understand something. A lot of times pastoral ministry is lonely because you're usually in an area where you're not on family. Their family lives, they move here from Florida, but they get family in Ohio. There's nobody around. Everybody else still doing Thanksgiving. No one thinks about him. And no one thinks about the fact that, well, you know, he doesn't have enough money to pay his bills. And so God spoke to us exactly the right time and said, no, do it today. So I'm like, no, I need to talk to you today. And so he was just sobbing because he had $1.45 in his checkbook. He's like, how am I going to get to Ohio? I need to get to Ohio to see my family. I got to take my wife to see our, her family in Ohio. It was her family because we just feel so alone. He told me later, he sent me a text. He said, I have never felt more convinced that I'm in the right community 
because God confirmed me. He knows I'm here. I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. I'm going to keep serving here. Even though it's impossible, going through health issues, his wife is sick, he's sick, the church is it's up and struggling. It's not easy to build out churches around here. We all know that. And God used us, your generosity, to use our money to help a brother. Now, here's what's upside down about the thinking. They're not in the same organization we are. They're an independent Baptist church. Somebody go, well, why in the world? We got an Assemblies of God church in Grafton. Why don't you do it there? Because God didn't say to do it there. Not that we wouldn't. Some people in the world, if this was a, if this was a gas station we we're running, or this is a clothing store we're running, or this is a tech company we're running, or an engineering firm, we'd say, that's the competition. Don't help the competition. Matter of fact, there's people who used to attend here that attend there. They're the comp- no, they're not the competition. That's world thinking. God flips it upside down and says, we're not competitors. It's right side up thinking. That's what he's trying to accomplish here. And what, what God is trying to say is that if you want to evaluate your standing with God in the kingdom, examine your use of money. That's what he's saying here. He says, do you serve money? Do you, does making more of it and keeping more of it dominate your life? That's what serving is. It dominates your life to make more and keep more. Or do you see it simply as a resource to provide for yourself and to be used to bless others. There's nothing that makes... He was happy when he got that check. $1,000. He had $1.45. We were happier. He left. We were way happier. We were doing backflips our whole day. The office was like, woo, we love working here. This is awesome. It was great. Because we were looking to resources that we've all contributed to. I contributed to it. You contributed to it. And we used it. We're using it to bless others. How we use our resources, the answer to how we use our resources to this question will reveal more about your heart than any other evaluating question you can ask if you're trying to figure out where you're at with God. Your view of money. When the Pharisees heard Jesus talking like this, they decided to kill him. They didn't like what he was, what he was, that he was causing them to make some conclusions about themselves that they didn't like. He's saying, listen, you guys love money, you don't love God. He's like, well, we'll just kill you. It's easier to deal deal with it that way than change our ways. Let me close with a little bit of advice for us. If God's word makes us uncomfortable, don't kill the messenger. Okay? Suzanne's saying amen. If God's word makes you uncomfortable, first of all, don't kill the messenger. Don't go somewhere else because it's easier because somebody will tickle your ears and tell you what you want to hear. Rather, surrender your heart to the Spirit of God and ask Him to help you to grow and to change. Friends, that should be the normal posture. I have to do God. I have to ask God to do that every day in my life because I'm so far from where I need to be. It's always for your blessing to change and become more like Jesus. So Jesus' view on how we handle our resources is a lot different than the world around us. Look at these three lessons. Use your resources to benefit others and make friends so you can introduce them to Jesus. 
your use of resources is a proving grounds for how you will be used by God in other areas now and for eternity. And you cannot serve God and money. God is not anti-wealth. God is anti-greed. Serve God, use money. Maybe we should write that somewhere. Right there. Serve God, use money. That's the way it is. Serve God, use money for good. Stand with me this morning. I know we've gone a little late. and Our kids, people are having to make up for it. And some of you are waiting because we have a, if you're going to be a mem- want to be a member, want to think about membership, we have a membership meeting right afterwards if you want to investigate being a member. So I've got to wrap up, but let's pray together. Join me in prayer. Father, everything is yours. We are yours. Lord, in this room, there's people who have been entrusted with great resources. There's some that have barely enough. We're all in this room. We're brothers and sisters. Help us to grow in these areas of our life so that, Lord, we would use money and see money and, and, and uh, help it, use it as a tool in such a way that would bless others and make friends and benefit them in such a way that they would be open to you. And in, in some ways, Lord, when their brother's in need or our sister's in need, we would see the need and we'd recognize that you entrusted us with resources to meet that need. It's not forced. Government can't make it happen because it doesn't work. It's got to be out of a heart of love. Give us those hearts of love. Lord, help our thinking to be upside or right side up towards this area. Help us not to be frustrated by thinking that we just say, but, 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 but. What about, what about? Help us to say, God, whatever you want, that's what we want. Change my thinking. God, my thinking needs a change in this because like every one of us, we tend towards self-centeredness. I do. Show us, Lord, what is enough. In In a community of abundance, show us what is enough especially at Christmas time. Show us just enough when we're going to tend to just overspend and give gifts to our our family that they probably don't even need just because the culture compels it to be done. Help us to think like the kingdom and say, no. We don't have to do that. It won't make us any happier. Show us what's enough. And then show us how you'd want to use us to, to benefit other people, to bless other people. Maybe even some other people right here in this church family. Or the pastor down the street like Pastor Mark. God, would you give us so much resources coming through the, through the coffers of this church so that we can do that kind of stuff over and over and over again? Because, Lord, it's very clear. You spoke directly to us as a church to do that because it was at the exact moment when Pastor Mark had a dollar and 45 cents. Most of us can't even imagine what it's like to be sitting here today and literally say, I have a dollar 45 to my name. And I'm a man with a master's degree leading a church. And that's who he is. But he's doing it for the kingdom. And Lord, there's all kinds of situations like him out there. And we want to be the people that you use to help, to bless. God, I want Portview Church. You want Portview Church to be the place 
where we get to do that every single day, constantly being a blessing. God, we're open to you. Whatever you want, that's what we want. Help us to think like you and not like the world. I give you permission to mess with us. Mess with me, Lord, so I think differently. So, Lord, we pray now. This is the kind of kind of message that we, we let sink in, but then we walk its truth out in our daily lives. Lord, show us how to make it walk, walk it out in our daily lives. Show us, Lord, how to walk it out in our daily lives. Lord, I entrust this congregation into your care. Speak to us for your glory and our benefit. Jesus' name.